situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the Sat Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley. My co-host this week, Joe Quinn. Hello. Elan Martin. Hi, everyone. And Harrison Keeley. Hello. Today is Sunday, December 10th, 2017. What have we got lined up today, guys? Jerusalem. This week. <laughs> What's that? Hiro, you saw them. It's so what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <laughs> oh, that's how you say it. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a weird move, actually. Um, but so Trump. Trump has announced that he's going to, that the U.S. henceforth recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which is the first country to do so, other than Israel itself, of course. Israel. USA, top of the class. First in class. Keep it down there in the back. Yes. <laughs> Hang on now. We've got lots of Israel fanboys hanging around these days. Um, so, yeah, it's great news from a certain perspective. Um, obviously, Benjamin Netanyahu is over the moon. Um. American fundies are delighted too. John Hagee praised Trump's decision as, this is an actual quote here, biblical timing of absolute precision. <laughs> um, I also watched a couple of true, true Believers, you know, like Real Honest to God fundies videos on YouTube. Hey, YouTubers! And they're, they're completely over the moon because uh, this means the rapture is coming. And they get to go home soon. Home to her. Uh, it isn't explained, but one woman I was watching just said, yay, we're going home, peeps. And then all the commenters who obviously understood what she meant chimed in and said, yay, we're going home. Hmm. Well, well, it is. I mean, it's uh, it's Jeremiah twenty five twelve. It's in the Bible. Um, or maybe it's Daniel 9. I don't know. It's some... Some person in the Bible with a name. I believe it's Zechariah 12. <laughs> no, it's, it's Jeremiah 12, 25, 12. Hosea 2.13. I'm not Bible here. Look that up. Daniel 9, 70 years prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, 12, yeah. Uh, it says that, uh, and lo and behold, the Lord saith 70 years after <laughs> something Blah, 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 blah. So uh, they're putting it down to 70 years after, basically. 70 years after Truman recognized the state of Israel, basically. Uh, it's not quite 70 years yet. It's a bit early, because uh, obviously May 1948 was the official establishment of the, of the state of Israel. So it would be May next year. May next year would be the 70th anniversary. It's close enough for horseshoes, though. You can't expect 
uh, Jehovah to be uh, exactly you know precise on these things. You know? Well, Hagi will disagree with you. He fleshed out why he called precision, um, precision timing. Um, he said that because uh, the, the Balfour Declaration took place in in 1917. And then it was 50 years after there was, there was a 1967 war. Mm. And he said, this is another 50 years later again. So it fo- it's following some... I didn't see it and say it's in the Bible that there's a 50-year cycle. I think they just made that up in more recent times. Well, there's other people saying it's a 70-year cycle. from Well, 70 years since the... Ah, right. But also... 70 years since the establishment of Israel and 70 years. Uh, and in the Bible, uh, I think I think it's... Uh, the one I was reading anyway was Jeremiah 12. Je- Jeremiah 25, 12. Um, the exact... Um, I think it's, when the 70 years are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their sins, declares Hashem, and I will make it a desolation for all time. So, yeah, you can see where these people are, are are coming from or going to, you know. Babylon is going to fall. <laughs> Not, you know, I mean, Babylon, where's Babylon these days? I don't know. It's uh, Borders have kind of changed in the last 2,000 years, um, just a little bit. So, um, but Babylon is obviously, you know, used to describe all of Israel's enemies, basically. Um, so Babylon's going to fall and... 70 years is referenced in this, this passage in the Bible, So, and it's 70 years since the, more or less, since the creation of the state of Israel, that Trump has recognized Jerusalem as the official capital of uh, Israel, and therefore, Jehovah's coming back, or Jesus, I don't know, who, who do they think is coming back? Um, or no, it's not that they think anybody's coming back. Guys, guys, we uh, yeah. we lost you for a little bit there. Um, what were we talking about, Joe? You just asked. You just said it's not that they think someone's coming back, but yeah, it's not that they think someone's coming back. It's just that they think that the the sh one t is going to hit the fan, and that uh, but everything's going to work out for the Jews, and they're going to uh, uh, rule the world afterwards. Um, but these are all Christians, right? You guys still there? Yeah, are we still well, there. Yeah, I think it's that the the Jews are going to Christians talking about this basically b- battle this Armageddon, uh, this this prophesized Armageddon uh, battle against um, the Antichrist and and uh, who will rise to power, and at some point um, the Jews will be destroyed and then have to acknowledge Christianity, and in the meantime right. there'll be a um, a great rapture as Neil was saying earlier where. Uh, where all, all, the, all the Christians will be spirited into for, the uh, the sky and they're going home, into, they're going home into, Je- into Jesus' arms. Yeah. yeah. So the fundies in the U.S. are delighted about this because now the next step is the Jews all die. <laughs> yes. And they're celebrating together. The Jews in Israel are celebrating this momentous event together with the fundies in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Has someone not told the Israel Israelis what happens next? No, they just but think they, the Christians are crazy. <laughs> the Christians, right, the Christians, the Christians are crazy, about. but they're all—they're the only 
I mean, the whole world's aghast at this move, except for two groups on the other side. And the two groups on the other side have to destroy each other? What? How, how does this work even? It's a weird alliance. Well, for uh, for the, the Jews in Israel, the Zionists, it's Moshiach is coming, Messiah is coming. So they have their own version of it. Right. And, and uh, they think, you know, once, once they uh, win the big battle, uh, then um, Yahweh is going to come and, and, you know, put them in their proper so, place in the world of dominance. And the Muslims have their own version where they're, where they're going to beat the, the Christians and the Jews and the, the great, uh, what do they call them? The great Caliph will, or no, they've got another yes. name for him. I can't remember. The great pumpkin. Yeah. The great pumpkin in the sky will come. And, uh, it is all, it is all a bit silly, obviously. Um, and, and it's, I think it's only, um, a small, small percentage of the population. Um, Certainly, in, in in the West, that that believes anything along these lines is the Fundy Christians. And I'm not sure, maybe Alan, you you'd know is there is there much credence given to these kind of biblical prophecies and in, in context or in terms of them playing out or seeing them play out in, in real time in the world? Is does do many ordinary Jews? Um, I don't think a, a, most of the secular Jews in the U.S. are probably largely ignorant of uh, of the dynamics of play here. Um, yeah. But certainly you have a very uh, concentrated, fanatical element among the religious uh, right. Hasidic Jews in Israel who are very close to Netanyahu's uh, political coalition and, um, uh-huh. and, and wield all kinds of power that most people underestimate in Israel, I think. Um, mm. and, and just on that point in the U.S., on the other side, um, you know, we've seen in documentaries like Silhouette City, the very strong, at least in the in the 2000s, very strong religious fervor among the military, among some military, uh, mm. in, in the direction of, of end times and making Israel strong enough to destroy itself effectively, uh, to help mm-hmm. bring about its own uh, demise by encouraging it to act militarily and, uh, and bring about these end times. So there's that, um, you know, we've mentioned on the show that, you know, in, in our little area here in uh, North Carolina, there are actually big paid for billboard signs uh, that uh, are are put up by these Christian organizations that thank Israel for protecting Christians uh, in the Middle East. Uh, the only Middle Eastern nation that, support, that supports Christians or something like that. Yes. So uh-huh. it's, you know, it's... They're either conning themselves, or they're you know they're part of this um, this kind of moral cheerleading on the part of uh, on the part of Christians towards Israelis and in creating this mm. fake perception of Israeli support for Christians. If that makes any sense, it's really convoluted, but <laughs> there it is. Right. Well, the funny thing is, there's there is a, t- a tiny you know minority of Christians in in Israel. Um, but the idea that, that like Israel is the only country in the Middle East that has a, like a Christian population and that, that is supported like by the government and protected is ridiculous. I mean, Syria has been a, uh, you know, a multi, uh, confessional country for, you know, ever. And, uh, the Christian population just does fine in there. I mean, Lebanon, um, you know, the Christian, there's the Christian group has like a, what do they call it? Not, not a coalition government, but basically one third of the government is 
is controlled by a Christian, you know. So, I mean, it's just kind of nonsense. Oh, and we have to reconnect with the guys again. Sorry, guys, we lost you again yep. there. What did yep. you hear? Carry on. Oh, I was just saying that uh, other countries in the Middle East have Christians that are treated just fine. Mm-hmm. Except by the jihadis. Right. Exactly. The Israelis didn't do much for the Yazidis, did they? Did they? I mean, uh, over in uh, Yazidis in the uh, in 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 Iraq and 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 Syria over the past few years, when ISIS was running rampant uh, across and killing them all, you know, they're not technically Christians, but they're certainly not Jews or Muslims. Um, uh, so they, I don't know. They can't really. I think the Jews, the, the Jews in Israel, are the Israelis um, protect Christians and when they go to visit uh, Jerusalem, and that's about it. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's the whole thing is obviously uh, the 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 initial thing that uh, that a few people co- commented on when this announcement was made. Obviously, was. Um, We're losing the guys very often. I think, as Red Fox says in the chat, that the, the poor internet hamsters in France are frozen by the cold weather. Um, we're going to try to get the guys back. Is every Did everyone just hear what Harrison said? Yeah, we're, hearing? we're fine. It's oh, okay. just that the guys are losing their connection. Um, oopsie doodle. Okay, <laughs> sorry guys. Looks like we might be having technical problems today, but we'll try to get. Them. Okay, yeah. Okay, there we we did we we messed about it with our connection. Actually, we should be better. Okay. I was just saying that um, when this announcement was made uh, by Trump, uh, there were a few people who mentioned not a lot, but uh, certainly not the mainstream media, whatever, uh, said nothing about it. They were all quite quite quiet about it. Uh, but what a few people mentioned was that they're all everyone's talking about this collusion supposed the US government or Trump uh, collusion with Russia but what this uh, announcement shows quite clearly is uh, Trump collusion with, with Israel but then I'm not surprised that that doesn't get much press because that's been the case for just about every every uh, US government since the foundation of the state of Israel right mm-hmm. and beforehand um, for for the Zionist um, Zionist project so, well, there, there was one notable exception. Maybe I'll just talk about it briefly. Uh, JFK was actually probably right. the only the only president to go after like the 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 Israelis in uh, in any substantial way, and he did this in three ways. First of all, like the the Israeli nuclear program was started, I believe, back in the fifties, mm-hmm. and um, and so the Dimona site was set up, and the Americans were kind of concerned about that, and JFK in particular. And he was adamant that Demona uh, be opened up by the Israelis to regular inspections to prevent them from becoming a nuclear state. Mm-hmm. Ben Gurion was furious about this and um, and wrote you know wrote uh, Kennedy at least a couple letters you know calling Kennedy out and Kennedy re- responded back basically saying no way you guys are going to have to open up to inspections and Ben Gurion uh, resigned right after that mm-hmm. and then uh, he also. Um, he also, he and his brother both um, were adamant that the the precursor to APAC, the Israeli, you know, the uh, I believe it was called the, I can't remember what the name of the actual organization was called back then, um, but 
it, it became APAC, and they were they were adamant that they that they register as foreign agents. And um, like the that came to a head, I believe it was like in October uh, 1963, the month before Kennedy was assassinated. And uh, there was a third thing too. It was uh, Demona. Um, oh, and he and he supported the Palestinian right of return. So he wanted uh, mm. he wanted the you know the, the Palestinian refugees to be able to return to to their homeland. And all of those policies got changed immediately when uh, Johnson you know, took over mm -hmm. after Kennedy's assassination. And ever since then, no one's done anything. It's still on the books that Israel um, has to register, or the APAC has to register as a foreign agent, but, but the, like the, well, and that the IRS, um, like the IRS deals with, um, you know, foreign agents like that in a certain way. And it's still on the books that they have to abide by those laws, but it always just gets ignored. It's like the, um, you know, so technically APAC has to register as a foreign agent and it's on the books. But they just get away with it, um, and it's been like that, you know, since 1963. Right. Uh, yeah. So, well, it's no, it's no surprise that that uh, it's not surprising. Let's say that Trump has has done this, um, really, because I mean, there's been we all know enough about the the Israel lobby, uh, the long-standing Israel lobby in the U.S. and how powerful it is. There's been uh, books, a particular book by Walt and Mearsheimer, written several years ago. On the Israeli lobby, um, that laid it pretty pretty bare in terms of um, just how powerful that lobby is, and how much control it has, and how much influence it has uh, over Washington politics, American politics. Um, so for Trump to make this make this move, obviously curries favors favor with the, with that lobby and with the probably powerful people in the in that lobby that can that can help him out, you know. So in a certain sense, you can. He's playing. He's playing one of his cards, basically. He's playing the the Jewish or the Israeli lobby card, basically, in um, in terms of the the current uh, forces that are that are uh, arranged against him, uh, have been for the past most of this year, or before he was inaugurated, really. So, um, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see um, if anything changes, uh, if if that if that favor that he has. Given to Israel and to that Israeli lobby, obviously, um, if it if there's some payback, a noticeable payback in terms of um, things easing up on Trump or you know this whole um, investigation business maybe going away, but we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. But <clears throat> obviously, there's been a lot of noise made and a lot of upset caused as a result of this in uh, in Muslim countries in the Middle East, with the exception of Saudi Arabia, really, because Saudi Arabia is tied at the hip, it seems, uh, with the Israelis, which is really bizarre. Because Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, everybody would assume, the average person and even above average people, would assume that Israel's enemies are the Muslim countries uh, around it in the Middle East. And the more extreme Muslim country, you would think, uh, would be the, the bigger enemy of Israel. But we notice that the most extreme uh, Muslim country, uh, the, the, the Muslim country practicing the most extreme form of Islam, is best the bestest friends with Israel, and has been uh, for quite a long time. That's Saudi Arabia, and while Israel, uh, along with its Western partners in the U.S. Particular, uh, in particular, has always taken exception to secular or moderate uh, Muslim Arab nations in the Middle East. 
um, particularly Iran. Iran is, by any uh, measure, uh, especially, especially compared to Iran or compared to Saudi Arabia, Iran is a moderate Muslim country. But they're Israel's enemy number one, and of course, Israel was had its was up to its neck in in the whole Syria business as well. And Syria was <clears throat> as just about as secular a Muslim country as you can as you could get uh, in the Middle East. Anyway. Uh, and Israel hated on them as well. And Israel obviously was quite happy about the, the NATO Western attack on Libya, which is also a largely secular uh, Arab Muslim country. So it just doesn't uh, doesn't compute. Something's not right there, you know, with that official narrative. And then you look at what actually happens on the ground. I suppose it just exposes the fact that the it's all a, a bit of a ruse, you know, and there's a kind of real politic thing going on in the, in the background. Uh, and I suppose it's, it's birds of a feather. Uh, flock together, as they say, and in that sense, you have the most corrupt, conniving, the least, uh, the, the the leaders of countries in the Middle East that have the least uh, integrity and are the most uh, unscru- uh, unscrupulous. Uh, they all find common cause, and in that case, you have obviously then you're talking about Saudi Arabia and Israel uh, to a certain extent, Jordan. Um, the other ones have banded together and they find common cause with America and it's all obviously just about controlling uh, the Middle East which has for a long time been a major resource uh, centre uh, in the world and um, yeah Not to nitpick but the Jordanian king popped up with Erdogan this week to condemn it Yeah Well the Saudis officially condemned it as well but I would okay. I would look more at people's actions rather than what they say you know Um and that respect that, huh? No, I was just going to say in that respect that it's pretty clear that uh, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Israel are the are the major kind of uh, along with Qatar maybe to a certain extent um, are the major kind of Western aligned powers in the Middle East. Uh, Turkey has been to some extent, but that's all changed in in the recent the past couple of years. Go ahead. Well, it, I was just going to say that part of the issue there um, is the kind of uh, appeasing the street or the uh, the sentiment of the average Middle Easterner who's very unhappy about um, the situation in uh, in Israel and Palestine. So, you know, guys like King Abdullah and Jordan and even the, the Saudi family has to be somewhat careful uh, in their um, in their statements regarding uh, the, the embassy move uh, because they know that they they can't push it too far among people in the Middle East. Uh, there have been a lot of statements in recent days. Nasrallah of Hezbollah uh, mm-hmm. has come out and basically called for a kind of uh, new uprising or intifada among the Palestinians, and and uh, and he knows um, that you know th- this this recent uh, decision can't stand um, on its own. It, it it has to be addressed in some form. Mm. Um, whether that means that there will actually be uh, mm. a, a, a greater uprising, um, that's a question that, that I guess we can get into. Well, I think uh, there's a, I think there's an the angle to this as well in terms of seeing in a bit more complex or nuanced way is that um, uh, these other Arab Muslim countries in, in, in the region, uh, the leaders of those countries have to make uh, a big noise uh, and condemn uh, this. Obviously, we see even Saudi Arabia saying a few 
few words about it, but the other countries that are making a, a are condemning it more uh, vociferously, let's say, like um, in uh, although I would take kind of Nasrallah at his at his word type of thing, but even he is is doing it in the same for the same reason that the other ones are doing, like Erdogan and um, and Iran, and uh, I think even as far as Indonesia and stuff. Those people are all uh, well aware that this doesn't really uh, change anything. It's a bit of propaganda. It's positive. Uh, it's, a, it's a propaganda win for for Israel. Let's say they get to feel good about themselves, and, and from, from the point of view of the international community, it, it reaffirms to, or to, it helps to program people in, in, in around the world or in the Western world. Let's say uh, with this idea that Israel, you know, has a right to exist and Jerusalem is its capital. So it's kind of the talk before anything would be implemented, and um, it's, it's obviously this is nothing. This is doesn't really have. I don't think it has much bearing on any actual practical implement, implementation of anything, any change on the ground. Obviously, it's just uh, it's like saying I recognize I recognize something. Well, if you don't do anything, you simply say that. Well, big deal, like really. Um, but my point is that they these people need to pander, and the Muslim countries they need to pander to the uh, their populations. You know, mm-hmm. these people. I suppose first and foremost, always they're concerned about their own position to power. Uh, in the country, and if they are seen as or have been elected as uh, leaders who will defend Muslims and, in, in this case, Arabs and uh, Arab nations in the Middle East, defend the interests of those people, and, and Islam obviously is a core aspect of that, then they need to take a strong stand against this publicly for the for the in the interest of um, you know securing the support of of their of their of the electorate, of the people who, who vote for them and not support them in the population. Uh, that's what those people expect them to do. If they didn't do that, then they would, it would those leaders would uh, take a bit of a hit in terms of their own popularity. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing to, 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 to understand uh, when you hear the, lots of rabble-rousing and saber-rattling and stuff um, from these leaders, that it's basically pandering to their local populations. Uh, uh, like I said, I don't think any of them think that this changes anything, that this is something that this is a red line that must be crossed. Of course, they use that terminology. This is a red line. I think or Erdogan used that uh, term, this red line. Um, but, you know, that's just a bit of bluff and bluster, really. Uh, they all know that uh, ultimately, in theory, at least, if, if anything ever happens in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian uh, peace process, if anything actually moves in any direction, in a positive direction, it would have to be done uh, via negotiation and via agreement between the, the parties involved. Uh, no one's going to simply unilaterally impose anything uh, because then they would have a real problem on their hands. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not like it's not like the the nations in the in the Arab world are any are under any illusions about the U.S.'s role in the so-called peace process over the no. over the decades. I mean, they know that that the U.S. has never been a a, a neutral, you know, unbiased party, and has has always been on Israel's side. Uh, so this just kind of, I mean, it takes away a bit of the pretense, but it's not mm-hmm. really doesn't change anything because the U.S. has always been, you know, on Israel's side. Right. And that's just the way it is. So well, it's been sixty years, right? I mean, yeah. everybody's got, everybody's had sixty years to get used to the idea, you know. Um. So so yeah, it's hard to say where where it'll go or what what the point of it is, other than. The actual effect that it's had, and what we mentioned about Trump uh, currying favor with the get, getting some support from the, a powerful lobby, Israel lobby within within the U.S. in Washington D.C., who could maybe pull some strings for him 
and and help him in his you know over the course of his his um the rest of his term. Um. So, but yeah, when we talked previously, I don't know if we did we talk, we didn't talk here previously about it, but we've mentioned um in articles that we've published in a soft focus or two, and I've written I wrote a little thing on Facebook about it. Uh, just in terms of what it might mean, and this was giving Trump the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, that was maybe stretching a little bit, but what that was really more about was um, using uh, this event to think about any possible or potential future settlement or solution to the Arab-Israeli conflict. And in in that in those, in those articles, those comments that we made. Um, I think what we were saying was uh, pretty much still is, is still valid. Not that it's ever going to be implemented. Like nothing, it doesn't seem that there's very often that there's equitable and peaceful solutions to major problems in this world, right? Because of the nature of the world we live in and the powers that rule it. Um, but certainly, if anybody was thinking about what a possible uh, solution might be to the Israeli uh, Palestinian uh, uh, conflict. Uh, we were talking about the idea of a one-state solution as opposed to a two-state solution because Israel, given the nature of the Israelis and their support from the US, they pretty much destroyed any possibility of a of a two-state solution at this point. So the idea was to um, kind of uh, call the Israelis bluff and give them their one state called Israel that would encompass the, the Palestinian land as well and transforming... Palestinians into, like some of them actually already are uh, more or less Israeli citizens, the ones living in Israel proper. Uh, and the rest of the Palestinians now in Palestinian territories, that would become Israel and they would all become Israeli citizens. And then Israel would be responsible for those citizens. And then in new Israel would be responsible for Palestinians and would be responsible under the eyes of the world to treat them as equal citizens. That might take a while for them to get around, come around to that idea, but eventually... The idea is that uh, that watering down would also have the effect of watering down the kind of exclusively Jewish nature of 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 the Israeli state. They wouldn't be couldn't be so exceptional anymore. Like most other states, mm-hmm. most other countries in the world have uh, are, are are have some level of uh, multiculturalism or multi ethnicities within their borders, and that, that causes problems now and again. But that's been the way of the world for long for a long time. So why shouldn't Israel? join the rest of the world in that respect in in having more than one ethnicity or more than one religious uh, affiliation uh, in their in, in any new future Israel and play the game in the way that all other countries are uh, expected to which is you know to treat everybody more or less fairly uh, that's one possible solution to this whole situation, but of course I don't think the Israelis actually want that either because they seem to be quite fixed on the idea of Israel being an exclusively Jewish state. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to avoid any, for anybody who looks at this, unless you're uh, Israeli or Jewish yourself, it's hard for anybody who looks at this to avoid the, the conclusion that the big problem here is Israel. Oh yeah. In fact, you know, it, one of the biggest uh, legitimate criticisms of Israel is that it, it has never been uh, negotiating with the Palestinians in good faith. And obviously one of the, you know, the, the, the most obvious and glaring examples of this is they're continuing to build settlements in the West Bank 
uh, not to mention, um, you know, all of the kind of egregious uh, and gratuitous violence that they're uh, committing against uh, the Gazans and, and the people in the West Bank as well, uh, basically mm. making their lives miserable through um, their own version of uh, blockades of aid and food, uh, keeping them on a quote-unquote starvation diet, uh, just just allowing just enough uh, uh, aid and sustenance to, to keep them alive, barely, um, but not enough for them to uh, really develop and, and thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been called out on this for, for many years, but obviously the UN and other organizations don't have the teeth to um, to uh, sanction mm-hmm. Israel in, in any significant way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, getting back to what you were saying a moment before, Joe, there really is no um, sincere intention on the part of uh, Israel, or at least those who are in power, to create any kind of viable uh, two-state or one-state solution that would include the Palestinians. Um, mm-hmm. It's a long-standing issue. Um, you mm-hmm. have uh, you have a, a, a core group of really crazy politicians, military and religious types, who uh, who are absolutely fixed, as you said, on on uh, perpetuating and and pathologically uh, fixed, pathologically fixed, and and really set on this Eretz Israel. You know, Greater Israel project that would uh, that aims to subjugate most of the Middle East towards its its own uh, Lebensraum, if that's the correct word, and its own uh, living space, mm-hmm. its own uh, gigantic empire and sphere of influence. Um, and and yeah. that's that's what we're seeing in the in the form of these this this kind of uh, this new newly uh, renewed. Uh, alliance with Saudi Arabia against Iran mm. and, and Jared Kushner's shuttling back and forth between Mohammed right. bin Salman and Netanyahu. Right. It's ultimately all about geopolitics, right, in, in the Middle East and, and who, who gets to be top dog, who gets to control uh, the, the area and the region and uh, its resources. Um, and, and there's a cover, you know, a cover story for that, which is, you know, we are the victims, you know, the whole Jewish uh, victimhood uh Thing, but it, it's interesting that uh, uh, that the Israelis uh, call themselves, you know, and Jews in general, to, to some extent, depending on the person. But Israel really has this this idea of itself as uh, and the Jews in Israel as as God's chosen people. Uh, everybody knows that term, and that that's what they seem to think of themselves. A lot of them do, anyway. Uh, and they have this long-standing alliance <clears throat> with uh, America which sees itself and describes itself as the exceptional nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's quite insufferable, no? I mean, if you can imagine and translate that down into in, into a, just a, a family environment or a, a group of friends environment where one person demanded that they that they were special and another one demanded they were exceptional and they lorded it over everybody else. And anytime, anytime anybody questioned them or challenged them on anything they didn't want to do, then they brought out their exceptional uh, or chosen, God's chosen people kind of status. I mean, they would just be kind of, you just wouldn't hang around with those kind of people. Nobody does, you know. They're they're uh, insufferable, basically. Um, and this is what's going on, has been going on for a long time on the international level. And it's just, um, it's really, uh, really, I mean, that's why I say, I mean, you have to find fault with these people who take that approach. You have to find fault. Ultimately, you can't avoid finding fault with a person who says, I'm exceptional. I'm the indispensable nation. In a world of, of 200 nations, I'm the indispensable one. Oh, yeah? 
uh, well, you know, who died and made you king type of thing, you know, um, and then Israel with this, not only with the, we're God's chosen people, but anytime you challenge that, then they have also, they have a double whammy of, I'm a victim as well. And you're responsible for my victimhood. You know, it's a poor me. It's a, I'm better than you and I'm on, and poor me. You, you persecute me. You have persecuted me for so long, but I'm far better than you. I'm God's chosen person. But you've been persecuted. Well, if you're God's chosen person, why have you been persecuted for so long? Well, that's because what God wants. But God's going to come back and kill all of you for persecuting me for all these years. Really? I mean, is that your story? Well, and what what kind of normal civil society is that kind of angle or that kind of uh, narrative fly with anybody, you know? Uh, so, <laughs> but, in, so you can understand America. why people have a problem with Israel, yeah. you know? It's the man's uh, family mentality. I mean, uh, I've been reading, a couple of us have been reading, uh, you know, some books on criminals, like serial killers and uh, just career criminals and, you know, violent criminals, rapists, murderers, torturers. and uh, they all seem to have the, well, it's funny because it, it reminded me of, of the criminal mentality when you were talking about exceptional nation and the chosen people because criminals, <clears throat> like almost as a rule, they think of themselves as totally unique and exceptional and uh, more important than everyone else. And that's just what it comes down to. And so when you translate that to the to the global or national level, you get American exceptionalism and Jewish chosen, chosenness. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, you could also, you know, you could argue the same thing with uh, the kind of jihadist mentality. It'll prop up anywhere, but the the, the biggest, most powerful players, you know, in this right. sense are America and Israel. And well, you notice that most Muslims don't necessarily, I mean, the religious ones maybe, uh, but they tend to keep it to themselves and they're like, you know, yeah. God's plan, Allah will work it out eventually or whatever. But there's not many Muslims around the world have that uh, <clears throat> have that attitude about themselves, that superiority, superiority complex. Right, as you see from America and and, and the Israelis, uh, and the only ones you do see it coming out of, uh, most notably over the past, in fact, really the only uh, example of it in, 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 in to that extent, uh, similar to Israel and America, is with ISIS over the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. And then you look into who ISIS is, and you see it's basically them. Mm-hmm. Uh, onto a group of, uh, of of jihadis, pulled them out of somewhere and said, hey, you guys, why don't you whip yourselves up into, or let us whip you up into, uh, along with the help of Saudi Arabia, obviously whip you up into this uh, exceptionalist fervor, and then we'll give you loads of weapons and you can go and invade countries for us. Mm-hmm. Which is what Israel and the US would be doing themselves if they could get away with it, but they have to maintain this veneer of freedom and democracy and the only democracy in the Middle East, etc., etc. So they use Muslims, their supposed enemy, to actually do it for them. While buddy buddying up to Saudi Arabia, who is basically the one providing most of the uh, logistics for ISIS. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, is there anything a problem with this? As you were saying, no, that, Joe, no, I no, would... no, move on then. No problem. <laughs> There's no problem with that scenario at all. Yeah. As you were, um, uh, just a quick comment, Joe. As you as you were saying that, I was thinking, gosh, how much ISIS has in common with the uh, religious Jews of Israel? Uh, they, you know, the, the basically ISIS has been uh, punishing uh, in the form of torture and death uh, Muslims in Syria and elsewhere for uh, effectively not being Muslim enough uh, by their mm-hmm. definition. Uh, same thing, you know, with, with the Hasidic Jews, uh, where they consider the kind of secular or, or reformed or moderate Jewish person who may or may not be Zionist as not the real thing. Uh, and, and, um, and so it's interesting that that mentality 
carries over to both of these groups. Mm-hmm. Right. But just getting back to it, apparently there's, there's word, the word on the street, the word on the vine, on the Washington Insider vine, um, is that um, this is from confidential sources of mine that I that uh, don't want don't want to be named because they're not authorized to to speak uh, about this topic. In fact, neither am I, so I can't say anymore. No, um, that Trump, it was in the news actually, uh, that's my source, um, that Trump actually called, prior to making this announcement, he called uh, Abbas and he called, in Palestine, and he called Erdogan and he called a couple of other people and told them that, you know, this is what's going to happen, but chill out because... Um, there's, he's going to be presenting in the near future, presenting some uh, goodies for for the Palestinians as well. Uh, the ultimate so, peace plan, right? Yeah, he's yeah. got this ultimate. Ultimate, it's going to be huge. This peace plan, it's just going to be so huge. Uh, say that again. M-M- we missed that. You, you were cutting in and out there. He said it's going to be huge. He's got this plan, you know, um, mm-hmm. for the Middle East, where he's going to give the Palestinians some 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 props as well, because he's going to he's got something in, in the bag for them. Uh-huh. And um, and it's what did you call it, Harrison? You called it a the ultimate peace plan, right? The ultimate peace plan. It's going to be huge, and you just just chill out. Because uh, yeah. Trump is going, Trump is, and Neil said uh, he's going to send the MAGA caps, make make America great again. No, it's going to be M M M M E G A, mega, mega, make the Middle East great again. Mamiga, mamiga caps, and that is going to solve everything. Mamega, mamega, mamega caps. Well, there were there was another report from I believe it was just yesterday, maybe the day before yesterday on Friday. Um, again, from insider sources that refused, that couldn't be named because they can't speak officially or whatever. And it was about this, the process by which, you know, these decisions came about. And what they were saying was that the guys that were supportive of Trump's move, because he brought it up apparently last month and, and kind of went through the details. The guys that were supportive were like Kushner and Green, Greenblatt, who are the two that are apparently, mm-hmm. you know, the peace plan guys that are, uh, you know, have have Trump's uh, sanction to go and make peace. And also... Um, Bo- both Orthodox Jews. Yeah, bo- both Orthodox Jews uh, being the, the neutral... Totally party. impartial. Yeah, totally impartial. And uh, and Pence and maybe... And Pompeo. And Pompeo mm. is really... He's like a CIA director. He's also, uh, um, you know, one of the kind of hardcore Christians in the, in the group along with Pence. And... Um, but the only two that, the, that these sources say that were against it were Mattis and Tillerson. And they said, you know, bad move. This will just create more problems. Uh, you know, it'll destroy our, you know, the image. Our image is a neutral, you know, third party, mm. et cetera. But Trump, Trump said he listened to their, oh, and, it would, and also that it would put, um, you know, American diplomats' right, uh, lives at risk in the region. And Trump said, yeah, he realized all those things, but, uh, but he still wanted to go forward with it because um, – I don't know if there was a because. There was probably a because, but usually the because doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, a, a reason to give a because. Um, but he said that uh, he's going forward with it and that he thought that, that it wouldn't be a big deal. It would just, you know, things might get a little hectic for a while, but then it would all cool down. And then after that, um, you know, then he could 
introduced the big the big deal, the big peace plan, the mega project. And um, so in that little bit, the interesting thing was that Tillerson was against it because right after Trump made the, the decision or announced it, um, Tillerson came forward and basically said um, the, the same thing that, uh, you know, that Trump was saying and that we just kind of alluded to. He said, oh, well, don't worry about it because we're going to introduce the, this ultimate peace plan that's going to solve everything in one go. And um, but in this this article that was talking about these, you know, from these sources about the, the conversations that went down. They said that um, the 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 big peace plan, you know, effort was going to be announced probably um, like middle of 2018. But mm. that, that in these discussions, it was brought up that if things don't die down, then the you know they probably won't even make an announcement about their big peace plan because you know it'll have been um, you know just uh, it won't work. And mm. and you know at least right now that looks to be the direction it's going in uh, unless things change because. Um, Fatah and Hamas have kind of united, um, you know, for the first time, I don't know, in how long. And um, and the like the, the the foreign minister and I believe um, Abbas himself have said that they, they, they won't they won't talk to the U.S. anymore, that they won't turn to the U.S. as any kind of negotiator for any kind of help whatsoever, that they're basically cutting the U.S. out of the equation and that they're going to look for other um, people to to help negotiate. So if that if they continue along that line, then, you know, then Trump has effectively just, you know, nixed his plans of any kind of mega project. Mm. But mm-hmm. yeah, just getting back to the, I mean, the Israelis uh, here uh, on the way I described their, their kind of mentality there I mean, years ago, not so much years, but years ago, they're breaking up a little bit, Joe. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, still breaking up a little bit. So a little bit, what a bit. I'll just keep talking while I, it keeps kind of popping okay, in yeah. out a little bit there. Yeah, it's good. But uh, yeah, well, years ago, I, I not so much in recent years. Years ago, I, I wrote quite a bit about uh, stuff, uh, stuff uh, articles, and thought that were quite critical of of Israel, you know. And um, it got me in a bit of trouble now and again, as you can imagine. Um. Nothing too serious, but the usual stuff, anti-Semitism and things like that. But and I, I, the reason, um, I suppose that that was such a, for me anyway, it was apart from the obvious reasons of the obvious injustice of it to a certain extent. But the reason it it jerked my chain so much was because I kind of grew up with the same people, you know, um, in Northern Ireland people with with exactly the same mentality as the Israelis and it's, the parallels are, are quite striking. You have a group of uh, people, interlopers who arrive and uh, and steal the land of the local population and then hold it by force and then appeal to and, and get support from, continuing support from a higher power to uh, to consolidate and, and justify the, their continued uh, effectively aggression. Well, aggression or uh, the continued injustice and the, the, the unequal nature of that situation, you know, and those people, people who do that, um, the, the 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 loyalists or the unionists in Northern Ireland and the Israelis, uh, you know, they more or less did, did the same thing uh, in different parts of the world, and and their attitude is is very much very similar, you know. It's uh, they put themselves in a position where they where they know. Uh, or they've done something that's, you know, very, 
in a very broad sense, just unjust and everybody can see it, but they then, they have the support of a, of a, of a major power who can spin the story and, um, who can spin the story, uh, in their favor. And, but that's all the time they feel like they're under threat. You know, they feel like they're kind of like rats trapped in a corner and they feel, they feel their whole life and their whole culture and their whole view of reality is, is informed by this, uh, this, their own awareness that they've done something wrong, basically. Cutting in and out again. Uh, whatever. Um, yeah. Is it better now? Yeah. It's a bit better now. Uh, you know, the whole, the whole, well, it keeps popping out. I mean, um, there's a, their their whole worldview is informed by this awareness in the back of their minds that that what they've done is that they're you know what they're they're basically an immoral people that that, that they don't have that history that that is is founded in justice and decency and morality and stuff it's quite the opposite and so they feel under threat and attacked all the time and that causes them to tend to want to attack other people attack attack the people around them that they uh, that are are clamoring let's say for justice historical and have historical grievances, justified historical grievances, and, and the Israelis and the, and the Unionists in Northern Ireland want, you know, basically go on the offensive because they feel threatened, because they know they've done something wrong, basically. They know they're, they're not, they don't have the moral high ground. And it's, it doesn't make for a very good, you know, you don't really have a partner for peace in that respect, and it's not really, not really the kind of people that you really want to hang out with or talk to. They're not really normal people, you know. Um, uh, and it's interesting, I mean, and it's not just me saying this, but obviously because in not so much anymore, but still in some places, but it used to be a lot much more prevalent was in the unionist loyalist areas of, uh, of, of Northern Ireland, you would have, you know, all of their different flags, you know, but uh, up there amongst them would be obviously the British, the British flag, the Union Jack, but very often alongside it, you'd see the Israeli flag uh, flying alongside the Union Jack in, in, in the North of Ireland, you know, um, wow. and that just underscores the fact that they, that they identified ideologically with the Israelis, uh, and they so so they saw uh, the the nationalists, the Catholics, as as the Palestinians, you know. So yeah, it's just I don't see a solution to it. You know, I mean that's why I mean there is a solution to it technically, but in the Middle East and with the way things seem to be going there, and because it's such a resource-rich area, it's basically been fought over for so long. That really throws a, a, a kind of spanner in the works in terms of really being able to implement anything, you know, a lasting kind of peace because you have outside factors or outside um, players that are that have their own agenda uh, in that. And, and generally, you're talking here about the U.S. and and the British to a certain extent and other Western powers who just who don't care, you know. Um, about peace. Peace isn't in their interests. And of course, peace isn't really in the Israelis' interests in the same way that peace was for a long time not in the interests of the Unionists in Northern Ireland. As long as they had an enemy, they justified their existence on the basis of these people are trying to kill us. These people want to, want to, they don't recognize our right to exist or our right to be here. It's like, no, well, uh, who would recognize your right to be there when you stole it? It's like a, it's like a thief saying, you don't recognize my right to, to hold on to your TV that I stole from you. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, what's your point? Well, you should, because um, because God gave it to me. <clears throat> no, He stole it from my freaking living room. What are you talking about? Shut up! God told me that. God told me to tell you to shut up. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so yeah. Well, you 
the, you mentioned the phrase spanner in the works. Um, I think there are several spanners that have been thrown in the works recently, and I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to play out in the future. And by this, I mean um, kind of Israel's geopolitical games and plans that have been going on in the Middle East for the past, uh, you know, 16 years. I'm going to, you know, take the cutoff point of 9-11 and afterwards with uh, mm-hmm. 2003 with the war in Iraq, because the war in, in Iraq was basically done for Israel. Um, I mean, like a lot of people say it was for oil. Well, if you look at the, I mean, even Trump correctly, real, you know, said that it wasn't about the oil because the Americans went in and didn't get any of it. You know, oil, um, American, um, you know, profits or even control of oil didn't change at all in the years after, uh, you know, 2003. But what did change was that Israel got a whole bunch of oil from Iraqi Kurdistan. And so for mm-hmm. that, that whole period after, the, you know, after the the Iraq war, um, Israel benefited greatly from um, from Iraqi Kurdish oil. Mm-hmm. And and they've had this plan, and like with Iraqi Kurdistan, um, you know, an independent Iraqi Kurdistan that would, uh, you know, secure them um, a lot of oil from that region. Now, that plan just went south, and it went south in the period of like 12 hours when uh, the Iraqis basically, um, you know, totally took away any chance of Iraqi Kurdistan ever being a viable option and retook Kirkuk and um, all the oil fields and all of the, you know, the, the infrastructure in that region. So the Iraqi Kurdistan project um, just kind of is dead in the water now. And and that's just one aspect of it. You've got Iraq and then you've got Syria. And, the, the you know, the Israelis uh, are not happy about the way the Syrian war turned out. They were hoping, just like the, you know, the Americans were hoping that, um, that Assad's government would be overthrown and that the region would just turn into another Libya and, you know, therefore no problem. Another another potential, you know, powerful enemy to check off the list is being destroyed and, and neutralized. And so these major kind of um, at least, um, you know, geopolitical angles for the Israelis have just been shot down and, um, you know, cannot be seen as wins on Israel's part. In fact, big mm-hmm. losses, big um, you know, they, they have not won it by any stretch of the imagination there. So, um, but, you know, so that's got to lead, lead somewhere. I'm just not sure where exactly, because I'm not, not sure what the real, um, you know, implications of those plans were and what, you know, the real agendas were, or the real goals, you know. So if everything had gone the way they, they planned, how essential would those be to, you know, Israel's continuing functioning as it is now? Or, or would, would they just be kind of minor or, you know, minor or more than minor benefits, you know, in the future. Basically, you know, what are Israel's options now with a, with an almost like unified uh, front in, uh, you know, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, uh, Turkey, you know, mm-hmm. all to the north of them, the, you know, the, these, these hijinks have just managed to unify those countries and bring all those nations closer together. Mm-hmm. Right. And whereas, you know, in, in the past, Israel has benefited from um, you know, fractionalism and conflict between all of those countries and would actively support it in order to avoid exactly this scenario. Because mm-hmm. if, if all of the Arab countries are fighting with each other, then, um, you know, good for Israel because they can't gang up on Israel. Mm-hmm. So, so that's just something that's, that's in my mind. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or if we'll just, it's just kind of a wait and see uh, thing because how's that going to play well, out in the future and how's Israel going to respond to that you know, going on? Well, 
Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of manipulation going on, and of course they'll have Big Brother America mm-hmm. uh, to rely on to enforce certain things. But yeah, it has changed things a lot with Russia in the Middle East now, and the changes that that has uh, has affected. Uh, and, and I think we're, you know, it's it's pretty fresh still, you know, with uh, Syria still to be finally decided because you know the Americans have about two thousand troops in Syria, you know, mm-hmm. and they're still. Uh, I mean, they're in the. They're trying to create a kind of something, so a little bit of land that they ha- they hold maybe from, say from like Raqqa down to Derazor, you know, just down to the Euphrates. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little, but but it's not very clear whether they're going to be able to do much there. And there's there's um, and the Russians are still trying to formulate something, you know, really to solidify that new um, potential partnership um, mm-hmm. in the Middle East between with you know with Iraq, getting the Basically, keeping it, getting. I mean, the Russians have a lot to do in terms of getting the Kurds on side, pulling them away from the Americans. You know, mm-hmm. um, so much getting them on side, keep and and then uh, sorting out the problems. There, like sorting out the problems between the Kurds, because if you want a unified uh, front, they're against the existing, uh, previously existing powers in the Middle East. You you have to. The Kurds are obviously uh, have to be brought on side, and there are problems between the Kurds and the, and the Turks. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. Uh, uh, and and potentially with the, the obviously Iraqi Kurds and Iraq proper, um, and so Putin and, and the Russians will have to be the kind of mediators of that, and and they'd have to really do a bit of work to kind of create a, a unified front there and and, and deal with uh, the, the kind of divisions that are inherent in that uh, to really put up the kind of uh, to, pr- to present Israel or the Israel and the U.S. with the with that kind of a problem uh, or, and, and the the, the the new reality of of a different uh, structure in the Middle East, but so it's it's still ongoing. But um, yeah, uh, well, who knows? Just, just to add to uh, your point, Harrison, um, you know, not only was uh, Israel benefiting from the oil out of Iraq, but uh, apparently, you know, I, ISIS in stealing a lot of the oil from Syria uh, and transferring it to certain points in Turkey also sold a lot of uh, the stolen Syrian oil directly mm. to Israel. Mm-hmm. And there's also the, the Golan Heights, which Israel um, basically took from uh, Syria in the 67 war, I, I think it was, mm-hmm. that their Israelis are now occupying. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, investments and speculation as to a vast oil reserve in the Golan Heights that Israel would like to have. Uh, but, you know, just taking a step back, uh, it really does seem like Israel, every time it acts aggressively in, in one of these ways, they, they shoot themselves in the foot and they keep upping the ante. Uh, they keep getting even more. It's like they don't learn their lesson. So, you know, bringing this back to the inside the criminal mind analogy that you brought up a little earlier, you know, we now have profilers. We now have Russia and and. uh and Turkey and Iran, uh, for instance, who are seeing the game, who are seeing the dynamics uh, perhaps more clear than they ever have and are in a greater position of strength than they've ever been to to respond um, in in all the ways that uh, that they could. Uh, Joe, you mentioned, you know, the, the possible kind of work that Russia might be doing in the future to mediate any um, agreements or peace deals. Uh, so, you know, in one sense, the world is kind of still 
uh, sort of holding out a hand towards acting reasonably and and uh, and not committing any more crimes to Israel uh, or or encouraging Israel not to pursue its its uh, parasitical uh, mm-hmm. divide and conquer tactics in the Middle East. Uh, but like like the criminal, it has this you know thinking error and this uh, mm-hmm. this compulsion to continue in exactly the same way it has for so long that right. can't be um, uh, mitigated or, or mediated or moderated in any way. Mm-hmm. So that that seems to be what we're what we're you watching to, play out. You have to treat them with. You have to understand them very well and, and treat them, understand their nature and, and that they have that kind of criminal mind, as you say, and they they're easily provoked. They're they're like a a rabid dog in a certain sense, you know. And you got to treat it very carefully and find some way to get get close enough to it to give it the injection that'll calm it down and get the secret clearly and make it feel like it's not being threatened anymore and all this kind of stuff. All the time being aware that it's only too willing to kind of like. Use a Samson option, you know, where like I'll, you know, take everybody down with me if I'm going down type of thing. Uh, so it's extremely difficult. And the real problem here is that, you know, the, the problem that, that people are, that has always faced this issue in the Middle East is is that the seed there was a bad seed planted, you know, that makes it very difficult to um, to do anything about it. It's almost like a setup. It's a, a the initial seed of this conflict, i.e., the creation of the state of Israel on on the land of another people. Um. Was was kind of goes a long way to ensuring that there will never be uh, a peace unless a very smart person comes along uh, to to maneuver everybody, but with not not to the to the detriment of anyone. But have but there's going to have to be some compromise and getting people to come to the table and get get over past grievances. There's going to be compromises on both sides. Someone to really do that conflict resolution thing. Um, but yeah, if you're talking about someone who just has no interest in that, and ultimately it's my way or the highway, and that's my bottom line, well then, it, it, it nothing happens. You just wait for the potential or the possible inevitable um, full scale conflict to, to 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 sort it out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, I don't envy anybody who who might think they obviously there's been no real significant efforts, uh, or no one smart enough to do that. Over the past sixty or seventy years, um, until in Israel, <laughs> Donald Trump until arrived. Trump arrived, on a pale horse, and it's going to be huge. What he announces, it's going to be, it's going to be great. He has been studying this conflict. It's going to be beautiful. All those times, beautiful, beautiful. It's going to be the best uh, peace process that has ever been tried anywhere in the history of the world, um, and he. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say, but go ahead. Well, the the most uh, I think the most we can say is that I think as as Harrison described, look at the results of every action so far. It's that you've got the realignment of the countries around Israel against it. That's the trend. So I imagine that trend will continue, and lo. The Bible fundies will actually turn out to be partially correct, mm-hmm. and the nations they rose up against Israel. <clears throat> well, it's, they got the second half wrong, which is that Israel is going to somehow win against them. 
I mean, everybody knows about self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, if you yeah. go into a state of paranoia and start believing that people are out to get you and start treating other people as if they're out to get you, when they're not out to get you, but you start treating them badly as if they're your enemies, then they become your enemies. And then you go, see? I mean, that's a, the most ridiculous thing. Uh, human beings do it all the time, and it's an absolutely ridiculous thing. It's one of the major kind of like, kind of bang your head against a brick wall thing that human beings do, you know? Um, and, it's, and it's happening here. It's writ large uh, on a national level here and it's I need someone I mean uh, there's a user uh, someone maybe a, a non not a regular listener to the show here saying that uh, um, back in the what was it the late 80s early 90s uh, Rabin Yitzhak, Yitzhak uh, Rabin and Yasser Arafat tried uh, and yeah back then it was there was still possibilities things weren't quite so settled and there was possibilities of of something uh, being done but <clears throat> Uh, that didn't work out either, and I think it's because there were people in the background who didn't want uh, peace to be to, to to break out. Because as we keep saying on the show, uh, for uh, for America, for an exceptional nation like America to go around and dominate the world in the way it has done, it needs enemies. And this might be a good opportunity to segue into another story this week, which is uh, uh, kind of involves North Korea and involves Russia. Um. Obviously, we know what's been going on with uh, North Korea. North Korea is an enemy that has been around, if you remember, back in 2002 when the term the axis of evil, uh, or around then, it was even 2001 when it was first um, created, this axis of evil term, that was um, Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. That's like 14, 13, 14 years ago that North Korea has been on the table there as one of the great enemies of the exceptional nation. And they've been using it, and they just bring it up now and again whenever they whenever they need uh, that enemy. And they've needed it with, with the, with the um, kind of geopolitical changes as a result of Russia kind of coming out as a, as a powerful nation and, and taking action and its alliance with, uh, with China and China rising in power as well. Well, North Korea then suddenly became... Oh yeah, let's bring them back out in case people forgot because they st- stopped talking about them for a long time. And uh, let's bring North Korea back out as these people haven't gone away. You know they're still part of the axis of evil. And then all you get in the in the media cycle for months and months and months is North Korea this, North Korea that, bomb, nu- nuclear war, blah 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 blah. And it's like so. There's an example of um, people who seek to dominate. It seems to be one of the templates if you seek to dominate in, in this world is that you have to have an enemy. And, you, and if, you, if the enemy doesn't exist, then you create it because it justifies your actions around the world, your domineering, domineering actions around the world. Um, so, yeah, North Korea is obviously going on. The reason I bring them up is because the other story this past week was um, that uh, Russia was disqualified or booted out or banned from the Winter Olympics in Pyongyang in South Korea which are going to happen early next year. And Russia was banned because uh, I wrote a little focus on it on Saturday. You can look it up if you want. Uh, it's obviously just uh, another part of, basically it's part of the Russian, the sanctions, US sanctions against Russia. These are sports sanctions, let's say. They, you know, there's, they'll sanction them in every possible way they can uh, to tarnish their reputation, tarnish their image in, in the in the world. Uh, this has been going on for a few years, obviously, but this is the generation where Russia has been banned from the, uh, the Winter Olympics, and there's a few. They had some caveats. Russian yeah. select vetted Russians 
probably they have to be politically correct slash clean in terms of any drug use um, may turn up, although they're not allowed to in any way display that they are right. connected with Russia. So well, no the Russian anthem is- can play, they can't display the flag. So I suppose the answer would go and the winner of the bronze medal in the skiing competition uh, no, they, they, is... They can call him the athlete from Russia. They can. Yeah. I thought they'd have to say something like, and here we have Yuri Orlov from the Democratic Republic of Nowhere. Yeah. No, they're allowed to call them the athlete from Russia, from the, the athlete from the Russian Federation. Um, but so, the, yeah, the, the, basically the, the whole team was banned. They're like the... Russian Olympic Winter Olympic team national team was banned, and then after that it was said, but individual athletes subject to uh, clearance will be allowed to compete uh, on under those terms. And uh, the thing is that it's just bizarre. And I have to bring up this uh, uh, hillbilly Nikki Haley, uh, the UN US is a UN ambassador uh, who is obviously super has been super pro. Rabidly pro Israel. If you listen to some of the st- stuff she's been saying, and actually, just like she sees herself as one of the chosen people as well. She's an honorary honorary Israeli Jew, I'm sure, at this point. But she said in relation to the the ban, uh, the Russian ban on, on, in the Winter Olympics, that it was still an open question as to whether or not the U.S. team would be going to those games next year. Why? Well, because of the security situation. Because Armageddon. Because of the security situation. Um, and she said that although if, you know, they decide to go um, and, they, and she thinks they should go, that they will do everything possible. They will ensure uh, the athlete security, the U.S. team's athlete security. And I'm like, uh, what? say that again. You're the one who represents the government that has been rabble-rousing and creating this whole instability and fear of uh, a nuke, nuke attack on or an invasion or a bombing or obliteration of North Korea because of its nukes, blah, 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 over the past several months. And now you're saying that the U.S. team might not go because of the security situation that you created, but that you're going to make sure that the, that the U.S. team, if they do go, will have all the security they need to make sure that they're okay. I mean, it's like that woman needs a, a lobotomy. She's had you. one already. I hear you, but in her mind, it's consistent because the rabble rousing is purely from North Korea. Oh, does anybody, does anybody remember? Does anybody remember the genesis of this? Uh, Who rabble roused first? Did 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 Kim Kim? Yeah, no, fat, North, fat Cor- boy Slim. Did North, he? North Korea fired a missile, and then they went. Fired missile were. Up into the air, mm. like a firework. Why? They went bang. Um, For testing? Yeah, testing. Because they're allowed to, like everybody else is. No. Huh? The U.S. says they're not allowed to according to... According to America? I, I think they have resolutions or something, and they claimed initially, this back in March this year, that... Um, yeah, there was some futz. I think they claimed that it's against this resolution and that resolution. You can't be firing this kind of range over blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. But they, they got lost in the, the main beef. It came out about a week later in a leaked Washington, D.C. insider report to NBC was that um, the National Security Council of the U.S. had been discussing bringing up the North Korea issue 
Mm-hmm. I didn't put it quite the frank terms I'm about to say they did, but they more or less leaked, let it be known that they were going to make an issue out of North of course. Korea. Right. Because it was time it. to do so. And right. they wouldn't say why they were going to do it, but it we was time. We need to project our power over there. We need to get lots more ships over there remember so we can that, run them into tankers. Remember that it happened middle sim- of the night. simultaneously with Trump greenlighting the launch of a cruise missile attack on that airfield. Right. After the staged chemical attack uh-huh. around that time. The whole point is that it's nonsense. You know, North Korea is no threat to anybody. Leave them alone. Take your grubby imperialist fingers off. Uh, that whole part of the world, you know, and just do business and shut up. But America can't do that because it has to dictate terms to everybody, right? And get a and get a free pass. Um, so same, yeah, the same thing will happen. We're going to see this again in 2020 because the next Summer Olympics are in Japan, right? Unless Armageddon yeah, is scheduled happen. between now and then, but right. unless Jesus comes back <clears throat> in the meantime and cancels the Olympics for everybody. Or even better, competes in them. I predict next year they're going to create a, some sort of... They'll create some pretext for sabotaging the football, soccer, World Cup in Russia. Yeah, well, I'm sure they'll try. No doubt. It's a thing. I mean, that's what you're dealing with. This kind of people, you know, who you can't just have a sporting kind of a, a soccer World Cup in Russia without the very clear and present danger that some agent of of, of the US is going to, you know, Try and try and destroy it. Basically, you know, you're not allowed to have a. These people just want hell on earth. Basically, they're they're nuts. You know, they they they're absolutely they have criminal minds, very criminal minds. Yeah, I want to see Jesus competing in the Olympics. But anyway, well, um, I, I just wanted to say I don't think it can be overstated uh, just how determined and nuts uh, the U.S. is in pursuing Russia. I mean, the, this latest Olympics being an example, as you mentioned, uh, we carried an article not too long ago, about um, YouTube basically taking down videos that that discussed, you know, Russian Christian faith and values uh, because somebody mm-hmm. complained. Um, you know, th- these are these are orders from on high in a certain sense. And, and that was a Kremlin. I know I, I got the inside scoop. They have to do that because that was a Kremlin plot to corrupt Western values. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that what it was? Mm, yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, it's sick. It's sick, but there you go. It it fits well with the overall narrative, doesn't it? That the West is in a serious state of moral decay, and that it would actively play whack a mole with relatively fringe views at this point of Christians. But yeah, well. I mean, it was in the context that you mentioned. It was in the context of uh, of them infringing kind of YouTube guidelines on gay rights, basically, yeah. on, right. on 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 you know social justice, effectively, that these were not in line with our progressive values. Ah, right. Okay. So the the gays have all the rights, but Christians don't. Right on YouTube, anyway. Yeah. Okay. The gays. <laughs> Well, I think part of it also speaks to, you know, the, the the Christian movement in Russia has been one of the, at least in recent years, one of the strongest kind of cultural, societal uh, um, tools of uh, cohesion and purpose and, and spiritual meaning for the Russians. Uh, you know, 
call it what you will, but uh, it, it seems to be an attack on, you know, any commonality that a, that uh, a conservative Christian might have in the U.S. Uh, who would be watching this and, and something that's been a very positive movement in Russia. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and it's, it's so over the top. I mean, I'm, I'm just, um, you know, it's whack-a-mole writ large. Anything, anything that is deemed positive, uh, or constructive about Russia, um, has to be marginalized, has to be, uh, you know, under, undercut. And there's, you know, we go back to the Russian collusion business and Facebook and YouTube executives being called up in front of the, the Congress to testify about how you know Russia supposedly hacked their 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 social media platforms and or got in there and started propagandizing uh, for Trump or whatever and swung the election for Trump, right? These 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 executives from social media platforms were up there and YouTube was involved and YouTube was um, came out with. Uh, uh, I think it was YouTube or Twitter. They all came out with a plan, basically, to do something about this. And so we can't really disconnect this. Uh, obviously, this this attack on Russian Orthodox uh, religious channels on YouTube being banned under the pretext of um, uh, you know infringing their guidelines on equal rights or, or diversity or non-binary sexuality or homosexuality, or whatever. Uh, this is why they take down Russian Orthodox YouTube channels, well, you know, by the sounds of it, at the behest of Congress, as an, as another way to kind of, uh, like you're saying, to have a go at Russia. But at the same time, the hypocrisy is laid bare when the Pentagon announces just this week that they are uh, pretty much banning uh, transgender people in the U.S. military. So, I mean, there's no consistency there, you know. I mean, you're either 40 or not. I mean, the whole point about this is all a ruse. You know, these people are lying and everything that you hear has an alternative, uh, ulterior motive behind the scenes. There's another agenda behind it and nobody should be, but everybody ends up fighting over the, the, the cover story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy, obviously. So, um, what else? Um, Russia is responsible for environmental issues as well, apparently. You may remember in late September, early October, there were reports of a large cloud of radiation descending over Europe. Um, They immediately pinned it on Russia, even though there was zero evidence at the time anyway for it. Um, I think there were readings of uh, very high levels, but not dangerously high, but high levels of ruthenium-106 um, highly radioactive element, usually used in, in not in nuclear plants. I think it's um, it's it's not in regular power. It's a, by, a byproduct of uh, of the uh, degeneration, whatever you call it, of uh, of like for example of uh, of, of uranium, uh, and um, it's it's used in medical. It's used for medical in medical facilities and stuff like that. But by the time it reached Europe, where they're all screaming about the concentrations were extremely low. So the whole point about this was simply that they were like trying to point out that, you know, Russia's, one of Russia's nuclear reactors was, you know, had leaked or something like that. You know, that was their speculation and stuff. The Russians obviously said no, but I mean, there was, there's no threat to anybody as a result of this, you know. Um, yeah. Well, the Russians uh, just yesterday suggested that this was 
from a satellite that contained right come back into some of this atmosphere. element and when it broke up on re-entry right that's why i left a streak across a lot of europe and russia right but um yeah the other story this week then was uh, obviously brexit uh, exit brexit exit um that's a bit of a uh, hilarious situation as well there's a, there's a real trend um which gives some hope i suppose to to to, to us anyway uh, there's a trend of these uh, kind of corrupt leaders finally getting caught up in the amount of lies and bs that they've that they've been spreading over the x you know for, for however long hoisted on their own petards as they say you know caught in their own lie um and, and just you know working themselves up into completely contradictory complex uh, situations where they uh, where they don't know don't they look like they don't know what they're doing anymore you know um and brexit fits fits into that category really because it's patently clear that the vast majority of uh, the elite the british elite do not want to leave the eu and never wanted to leave the eu uh, but they <clears throat> uh kind of going after the gold uh kind of more or less the uh, the beginning of this the cause of this brexit business was that um you could put it back to let's say in terms of the causal factors it was the war in libya the destruction of libya and let's even go back to the destruction of iraq but something somewhere along those lines of in the destruction of those countries iraq libya and then obviously syria and it really you know got going with syria caused this refugee uh, crisis and influx of refugees and there was someone possibly you know helping to support to, to move refugees into europe and this caused a reaction as, as you've noticed probably in many european countries where a certain section of those the population of those countries had a had a bit of a well that provoked a nationalism in them in, in seeing a lot of um, refugees coming in but not just refugees as is stoked by the media obviously you had at the same time as these refugees were coming you had a lot of these isis terror attacks or alleged isis terror attacks happening in 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 European countries that were shocking the population. And then the media blithely puts out these stories coming from somewhere that, oh, you know those refugees that are coming from all those countries we bombed? There's probably ISIS terrorists amongst them. And then what? And then you're surprised that a certain section of the population in those countries that are having those terror attacks or the countries just, you know, nearby uh, are going to go, uh, we don't like those people anymore. And to form an ideology around it, just to pull out of, their, out of the closet type thing, out of the drawer that they've been keeping and are in their back pocket, uh, the, their own national nationalistic sentiment in in those countries, and that then um, uh, you know grows and takes hold again amongst a certain section of the population. Uh, and you have nationalistic right wing, so-called you know right wing nationalistic parties, uh, new parties forming, or old parties getting uh, in, enlivened by by this by this sentiment among the population. Uh, and that's what happened. That happened in the in the UK as it did in, in several other countries in Europe and in America. And um, and as a result of that, you know, you had this UKIP party, UK Independence Party, that was that started pushing to fulfil the will of this section, a big section of the of the UK population, to have uh, uh, to take back control of their country to stop these crazy Muslim terrorists, quote unquote, coming into their country. Um, and the way the natural progression of that was, well, we need. Why are they coming in? Well, because we're a member of the EU, because we have to abide by EU. Uh, free movement of people, a single market kind of uh, uh, laws or regulations. So, well, let's leave the EU. So very quickly you had a campaign to leave the EU. 
And you had the Conservative Party who was in power at the time was thinking, oh, well, those people actually that are voting to leave the EU are actually a big chunk of our traditional uh, Conservative uh, voter base. We need to get them back. So Cameron at the time decides to announce a referendum. He goes with it and says, I'll do the right thing and maybe get some support by by announcing that we will put it to the people and let them decide if they want to leave the EU to keep the, the, the crazy, you know, brown-skinned people out. Um, and I think they did that in the under the illusion that there's no way which people are going to vote to leave the EU in this country, but we'll do it anyway and we'll keep them happy. And then we can say, look, it's been decided, we're not leaving, we're staying. Oh, lo and behold, they voted to leave. And then they're like, oh my God, what did we just do? And then uh, suddenly they're scrambling to try and find a way. Can we reverse this? Can we like pretend this didn't happen? Can we null this decision? No, you can't put this one back in the bag. Sorry, what are you going to do? Well, and then that obviously brought up the, the thing that was discussed this week. Eventually, you know, after this interminable, boring kind of talks and negotiations, supposedly are people just like not, answering questions on it and putting it off and they're still thinking how can we get out of this and eventually they have to enter negotiations with the EU about leaving and the big problem then that comes up as, as I'm saying this week is uh, is the problem with Northern Ireland which we were talking about earlier on <laughs> which is that uh, Ireland is a single island with a little part of the top of it was is part of the United Kingdom along with Scotland, Wales and uh, England uh, and the problem is, if the United Kingdom leaves the EU, then that little part of Ireland at the top would leave as well. But the problem is that that's just one island, and to all intents and purposes, that's a single country, and there are people, there's a, there's a border technically, but it doesn't actually exist in, in any reality. People move back and forward, live, you know, work. Uh, it's, it's basically from an economic and, and cultural, not cultural, but economic, and well, for a section of the people in Northern Ireland, from a cultural point of view, it's one island, there is no distinction. But there were facing the possibility because of Brexit that they're going to have to put a border, a hard border, a tariffs border, a customs border along the dividing line between North and South Ireland. And that, obviously that wasn't going to happen because in case anybody forgot or in case the British forgot, which they really probably like to, uh, not so long ago, i.e. from 19, about 1970 until about you know the late 1990s, it was a, a fairly violent war fought over the existence of that border. And in 1998, you had a peace process, so it's almost 20 years old now, that has more or less done away with it and normalized things, and there's not much of a border, and it's one country, but it's still part of the UK, but it's not, whatever. And you're talking now about possibly leaving the EU and putting that border back and potentially reigniting that war again? I don't think so. So what are you going to do? Well, you can't leave the EU anymore because of Ireland. Damn patties. Um, so that's kind of what's been going on. Uh, this week with these Brexit talks and the first thing they had, the hurdle, the first hurdle they had to get over was before we can even talk about what we're going to, how we're going to deal with each other, the EU and, and the UK is going to deal with each other after the, U, the, the UK leaves, we have to decide on, on the status of, of Ireland basically and, and the part of Ireland that is part of the UK. We can't even go further until we decide that. So that's what they decided this week and what they decided more or less was that uh, that the U, that the part the north part of Ireland would not would still more or less Northern Ireland would still more or less have this from an economic point of view would still have the free movement of people the same 
regulations, EU regulations that exist today, as with UK as part of um of of, of the EU. But at the same time, uh, will also leave, including that part of Northern Ireland. So, so we're going to stay. But well, Northern Ireland will stay in the, in the Northern Ireland will stay in the EU because of the trade and the cultural ties between the rest of the island. But they'll also leave the UK. No, we can't do that. Hang on. So. We have to keep the regulations of the EU for Northern Ireland. That's part of the United Kingdom, and the people, the, the unionists who are really lovers in, in Northern Ireland, they don't want for them to stay in the EU with the rest of Ireland and the UK to leave because they love the Queen so much, and they don't want to be dis- they don't want to be detached from her and her purse strings by by not being part of the EU or being remaining a part of the EU while the rest of the UK and the Queen leaves the EU. <clears throat> so. All of the UK, therefore, has to maintain maintain more or less the same EU regulations that are in place today in order to keep the economy working and not to have a, this either ideological or economic division between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. So, more or less, the UK isn't leaving the EU, but we're going to go and have some talks about what's going to happen when we don't leave the EU in a year and a half. Does yeah. that make sense? There you go. That's what's happening. Yeah, because as soon as as soon as um it 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 initially smacked of Northern Ireland getting effectively a special status, a dual it would be in a dual customs union of both the United Kingdom and the European Union. And as soon as it looked like that was going to be the case, and that the island of Britain would would therefore not, the Scottish First Minister, who's also leader of the Nationalist Party in Scotland, piped up and said, <clears throat> "Just FYI, if you're." Handing out that as a legal precedent, Scotland will also like to avail of that, thereby feeding into, of course, the fact that Scotland too is on the verge of splitting off from the union now or sometime in the future. Right. So not only effectively, Scotland, but Wales as well. Then was talking about it. Well, we might have that as well because we're a distinct entity in the United Kingdom. Not even just that, but the city of London technically voted to remain in the European Union. So the mayor of London also threw in his two cents and said, well, if special status is going around, we would like that too. Right. So and then, well, it's the a other, complete far. So effectively, the UK cannot leave the other, the other aspect, the Union. The other aspect of it was in the Brexit vote, while the, while the majority of people in the referendum voted to leave in Scotland, majority of people voted to remain. And in Northern Ireland, a majority of people voted to remain. Um... So the whole thing is just... There is one obvious way out for them, but it's not obvious also because, of course, given the nature of what's involved here, which is that it would turn into an eng exit. England, England leaves alone. Yeah. I would, Go for it. I, I, I would, would get the chainsaw. I mean, I would get the earth movers. I would get the diggers and the earth movers and I would join in the effort. I would just dig a big trench. And if you dig down far enough, the water would come up, you know, yeah. just around the border of England. And then, you know, we could get a bunch of tugboats and we can pull them off out into the North Atlantic. All the, we could, if they wanted, they can go all the way over to America. US. Yeah. Push them into, like, uh, what, what is it? Hud, not, Hud, not Hudson Bay. Uh, the, um, but yeah, go up to Canada. Into Hudson There's Bay. a place up there called New England, right? Would it join fit, New England with Old England. Would it fit in Hudson Bay? <laughs> I think so. Probably get it in there. It looks like it would. I'm looking at the map, yeah. So. No offence to our English listeners. You can all stay. We'll all give you refuge up in uh, Scotland or Wales oh, or whatever. Well, yeah. Um, just 
yeah, so you know, the Irish Prime Minister reminded people after this talk was agreed on Friday that, well, it's a little harder for English, but if there's anyone in the north of Ireland, anyone, no matter your background, you're entitled to apply for Irish citizenship. Well, that would help you, um, But also, if you've got an Irish grandparent, come on board. Yeah, no, I don't worry. It's not really about English people anyway. We'll get the diggers out and just dig around the city of London and Westminster. Yeah, well, technically, most of them voted to remain. (laughs) That's what the vote. That's what the vote says. Just the Houses of Parliament, then. (laughs) (laughs) There's other things that are going to be coming into this too. You see, in in a sense, the UK in total slash England in particular, are undergoing a kind of possibly a slow-motion regime change themselves with the Corbyn factor. Yeah. Now, it may not be Corbyn. Oh, he may oh, drop dead and yeah. things may move on. But just the fact that people have had the example of a normal bloke challenging the entire stake establishment has set a precedent and opened the floodgates to the potential for that's what I mean by regime change in you know the broadest possible. I don't mean anything like violent intervention or anything like that, or, re- mm. or not even necessarily a bloody revolution, and um, but a, a fundamental shift in perspective. I think it's still, yeah, not I don't want to say I don't, I don't want to predict what it, it's another factor that's playing into the yeah. intra UK issues, the intra UK slash Ireland issues, and then of course the intra UK slash EU issues. Yeah, it's all it's all tied up together. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not a good time to be one of these kind of uh, elitist kind of power broker type people who think they you know have dominion over all these people because it's not really going their way. And, and and like I said, that's a kind of good thing. But going, ro- scooting back over the Atlantic there to uh, to America, this has been a bad week for um, for the whole anti-Trump uh, people and. Uh, uh, Russia collusion business, you know, because um, the Mueller, Mueller investigation has been, has, has taken quite a few kind of hits uh, of late over the past week or two. Um, a lot of stuff is coming out that uh, shows that that is pretty much a biased, uh, very partial uh, investigation, that it, it's pretty much uh, a Clinton investigation, an anti-Trump Clinton investigation that's using the FBI as its attack dog to try and put pressure on or take down Trump in some way, but and and obviously the, the most of the media there, the CNN and NBC, blah 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 blah, uh, are are being fully on board with that uh, screaming about Trump at every opportunity. And this week there's been three stories, three events, um, news stories put out by that that section of the press where they ended up with egg in their face, where they're just concocting uh, stories. Uh, allegations, putting them out there, reporting on them as if it's this, oh my God, did you see what just happened? Trump really did collude with the Russians and then happened to retract it uh, very soon afterwards, say, oops, we made a mistake. It's, it's like their own hubris and their own drive to, to find uh, their, own, their, own, their own delusions about the reality of collusion with Russia makes them, you know, not read stuff properly and realize that they're, and then put it out there and then realize afterwards that they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some stuff about that on SAT. Uh, about those three three events just this past week that really do expose the impart the, the the bias of the FBI and the entire FBI investigation. <clears throat> They're pretty much working on behalf of Clinton to try and uh, diss Trump, and also that the media, most of the media, is in bed with them. They're their their messenger basically. 
to the FBI as Clinton's, atta- uh, Clinton's attack dog, and you have the CNN as their propaganda, as, as CNN and, and the rest of them as Clinton's uh, propaganda outfit, you know. So, yeah. Well, maybe maybe we can just flesh out one of those stories with, uh, was it Strosik? Is that Strock? Strock. Strock. Inspired by Mueller, uh, who had kind of buried uh, elements of the investigation with the uh, mm-hmm. emails with Hillary Clinton. Uh, this guy has been like involved in pretty much all of the big stories mm-hmm. you know, over the past <clears throat> two years. Like he was apparently the guy that changed uh, Comey's language describing Hillary Clinton's use of the email server and you know destruction of evidence from what grossly negligent to um, really bad or you know whatever to, it was. to very naughty, very naughty. And he was also the guy that uh, interviewed Huma Abedin and was it Cheryl Mills. And they made false statements about the, the, uh, the, their knowledge of the server. Like Cheryl Mills said, she didn't even know what a server was. And Huma Abedin said that she had no idea that there was this, you know, private server running. And then What's a server. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then emails. There were what emails, an email. <laughs> there were emails showing that they knew exactly what was going on. You know, there's a, an email from Cheryl Mills asking Huma Abedin, "Oh, what about the server?" Um, so they lied to the FBI. And that ties into Flynn because, of course, they they got Flynn for doing exactly that. You know, lying about something that, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not really a big deal. Everyone knew that, you know, about this server. They, you know, they lied about it. So, you know, either go after them or not, but be consistent about it. But also, this was the guy that interviewed Mike Flynn when when he lied about, you know, his uh, his contacts and what he said with uh, with the with the Russian ambassador. He was also, you know, one of the top guys that Mueller brought in for the or for this Russia Gate investigation. He was also the start of the 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 Russian investigation for when the you know all the hacking allegations were coming out. Mm-hmm. So this guy's been like involved in all the, of this stuff. He was supposedly the head of counterintelligence. Yeah. At the FBI, uh, this yeah. guy Peter Strzok, and he was involved. He was just he was like running the anti-Trump uh whole campaign basically and on, on behalf of the fbi all the d- dirty tricks and he was also involved directly in in creating that dodgy dossier mm-hmm. uh that that where it was t- money was taken from the clinton campaign i.e from more or less from hillary clinton's personal funds um you know one way or another money from clinton was given to lawyer to give to a law firm that was then given to um to fusion gps this this uh Mud, mud raking, a muck raking uh, organization, dirt digging organization, and that then gave it to this MI5 guy who contacted the Russians to get this dirt mm-hmm. on on Trump, the the peeing on beds and all that kind of stuff, all this nonsense, this weekly world news nonsense, you know, like it's just tr- gutter trash stuff, obviously made up. So he was involved in that whole process of getting all of that, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then passing it off to the FBI. Or as a member of the FBI, he then kind of like took it, this obvious trashy report that he had used Clinton's money uh, to 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 get to get this uh, dodgy dossier. He then dressed it up as a legitimate intelligence as, as a member of the FBI and took it to the FISA court, which is the uh, Foreign Intelligence something Surveillance Act. Act. Surveillance Act. Uh, he took it to the FISA court to get a, a warrant, more or less, to spy on members of the Trump uh uh, Trump administration or Trump uh, campaign mm-hmm. and administration, I suppose, afterwards, uh, on the basis that they were all Russian spies, on the basis of this dodgy dossier about peeing on beds that, that he was, had paid for with with Clinton money, and that was probably that FISA 
or part of that FISA request was probably what was used to then, um, you know, unmask or be able to spy on Mike Flynn, right? Who, who Strzok then interviews, knowing you know, knowing what knowing all the dirt and basically entrapping him. him, yeah, setting yeah. him up to to lie about it. And there are even uh, reports that that Flynn, um, you know, it wasn't even very clear that he was being like officially, you know, basically interrogated and interviewed. Like the they the, he'd been the, the FBI had been talking to like Trump team and basically they're like oh you know let's just you know let's have a little chat and so he comes there and then and then right as he gets there you you know the, they say okay well we're gonna ask you a few questions so he doesn't have time to to even bring a lawyer the fact that he yeah. didn't have a lawyer with him shows that he he might not even not even have known that this was like a big thing and mm-hmm. so you have some random you know FBI guys asking you questions and you're not you know if if you're not being like Right. I don't know. It, actually it, interviewed. Actually interviewed. What are you going to say, right? I mean, the, do you have to tell any FBI agent anything, you know, even if it's, uh, you know. Yeah, what you, what you had for breakfast, like it has to be the truth. Right. If, if an FBI just comes up and says, hey, how's it going? What you have for breakfast? Today? And you say, I had bacon and eggs when you really had like porridge. Can you then be indicted for that? Because you spoke to apparently. an FBI agent. Yeah, apparently. Apparently that's more or less what Flynn did. Mm-hmm. Um. But the interesting thing about this, obviously, what's obvious about this investigation is that it's all motivated by by the kind of deep state that's been running the whole anti-Russian camp, anti-Russian policy from within the U.S. for the past X number of years, and it's the same people who are running this uh, Trump, uh, you know, collusion business, and it's all motivated. It's all about Russia. This isn't really about Trump. It's indirectly about Trump in the sense that Flynn and Manafort, the people they're going after, are the people that they identified as not being, in their opinion, loyal enough possible Trump appointees or actual Trump appointees in his administration who they said were not loyal enough to America and held out that that had the possibility, these people had the possibility of or were likely to want to help Trump in his stated, during his campaign, his stated desire to more or less mend ties with Russia. That was the big red flag. That's when the big red light started flashing and the, and the sirens went off in these people's heads and anybody that when they saw him selecting this person, that person, that person, they were going after all of those people uh, to take them down in one way or another or make sure that they can neutralize in some way. Because as members of Trump's administration, those people posed a serious threat to the deep state that runs America because as part of an ongoing Trump administration, if they were allowed to do their thing, they would probably end up having changed this extremely antagonistic and aggressive policy that the deep state has established uh, as the one that they want to pursue towards Russia. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is that's what the Mueller investigation is all about. But it's being it's coming undone right now because it is uh, uh, at its foundation uh, a lie, a farce. It's made up. Uh, none so, of it's true. So would it be correct to say that um the Well co- uh, just co- a caveat to that mm-hmm. hold that thought for a second, just a caveat that it is true. Uh, not that Trump colluded, they're just dressing it up and trying to make it look like treason. What Trump wanted to do was to mend ties with Russia. What their agenda is to turn that benevolent, decent, good, positive intention into more or less treason. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, uh, at, at this stage in the Mueller investigation, Mueller, uh, would, would it be... Herr Mueller. Herr Mueller. <laughs> would it be correct to say that um, the the kind of Russian collusion angle has been effectively um neutered and that i think so it, it it's it's now moved into a a kind of well trump is just bad 
And we have to find the reasons why so that we can impeach him uh, still. Uh, is that, uh, would yeah. that be, uh, you think, a, a good assessment I think how it's gone? Well, I think the double whammy this week, and, and I think Trump was, you know, intuitive in, in the timing of it, because when he made that announcement about Jerusalem, which we're, we're assuming was, I mean, it's fairly obvious that the, the direct result of that, he's going to get kudos from a powerful Jewish or Israeli lobby in, in Washington, in America. So that he, he just gave himself a pretty serious kind of support boost in terms of influence and power to do what he wants to do in the U.S. Uh, and he did that right at the time when uh, the Mueller investigation was coming under serious uh, stress in terms of it, you know, the, 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 the shoddy foundation of it was, was being exposed. So those two things together, I think, um, pretty much kind of spell the end of it. And I think we're, unfortunately, I'm sorry to have to tell all the social justice warriors and all the lefties listening to the show, but Trump's going to be here for the next three years. He's he's probably going to uh, end out his, his term. Whether or not he gets another term afterwards is, is open, but uh, I think at this point, uh, the attempts after, and it's almost a year, obviously, uh, the attempts to take him down have pretty much failed. And I think it's significant and, you know, obviously the Jerusalem announcement is significant in itself for the stuff in the Middle East, but it's significant as a, an indicator of a, of it being a, a boost uh, for Trump uh, and his, his ability to, you know, hold on to the presidency and, and do some of what he wants to do. Maybe just a brief comment on one of the other hilarious stories from this week was the CNN's blunder. And it's funny that they kind of fell for the same thing twice because a couple of weeks ago there was the thing about uh, tr- uh, Donald Trump Jr. and his private messages on Twitter with uh, someone from WikiLeaks. And that was exposed as just, you know, nothing really. That You know, he sent them two messages and didn't really, you know, do anything with them. There was nothing really damning in these private messages at all. But they, they went back to it today. Apparently, uh, CNN had gotten uh, gotten hold of some sources who had read an email between uh, <clears throat> someone at WikiLeaks and Donald Trump Jr. And this was a big thing because the, the WikiLeaks guy had said, had offered and given the encryption key to Donald Trump Jr. for this huge trove of, of Hillary Clinton docs. can't remember which. It, is, which... it wasn't even a WikiLeaks guy. It wasn't? <clears throat> no, nobody knows who he was. Oh, uh, so it was an email from somebody, an email from somebody who sent it to Trump Jr. and, and a few others and maybe Trump himself. Uh, with a link to a publicly available, at the time, publicly available WikiLeaks trove of, of the Podesta emails, basically. Uh, well, and they say, and, and an encryption key. Oh, an encryption key. What is well, that? It must be was, Russian. When CNN is reporting on this, they, of course, they didn't know, Well, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they didn't know it was publicly available at the time because they looked at the date on the email. Right. And I'm pretty sure... Sh- well, first of all, they say they're... Their excuse now was that they got this from sources and that they hadn't seen the email. Right. I believe that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, and, but this was before WikiLeaks had actually released, you know, pub, made the documents available. Right. It was in the fourth of August, For September. Sorry, September. Yeah. Yes, fourth of September. And so, and so, then MSNBC and CBS both ran with this story too. And in their reporting of it, they said, "Oh, and and we've seen the email, and we have this is confirmed by multiple sources." Dun, 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 breaking news. More then, trouble for the Trump campaign. And then it turns out the email was sent on September 14th, a day after the documents were made available. So some random dude emails Donald Trump 
with the publicly available key saying, oh, check out these documents because I can't, you know, they're too big to send to you. That's like sending someone, a, you know, an email link to a story that broke yesterday. I mean, so right. it's it's a total non-story. There's nothing to it right. whatsoever. But all of these news so organizations see. somehow, it, apparently, you know, they must have read the email because it came out right afterwards. And the, I think I'm, well, I'm they did I'm they did sure. on that day. The narrative was that that CNN got from two sources mm-hmm. were told from two sources that Trump and Co got an email from a guy uh, with a link to the WikiLeaks documents, and the date of it was the date on the email was fourth of September. These mm-hmm. two guys told just told CNN that, mm-hmm. and CNN ran with it and said, "Dun dun dun, breaking news! Trump's in big trouble now. He really did." You know, colluded with Russia, blah, blah, WikiLeaks, Russia, all that stuff. And then I think it was the Washington Times eventually uh, that same day got a hold of the actual email, saw the email and said, oh, it's not the 4th of September, it's the 14th of September. And by that date, the WikiLeaks documents were publicly released. So then CNN had to go, oh, we uh, got that one wrong there. There's actually no story here at all. So anyway, but Trump still... He still colluded with Russia, and uh, and then and then there's Buzzfeed, who's desperately trying to because Buzzfeed were the ones who released the dodgy dossier mm-hmm. back in uh, in January this year. They were the first ones to break it. They were given it by the freaking FBI, obviously, uh, and told to release it. Um, and they are now there's some Russians actually, uh, I think, who are suing them. No. Um, yep. suing BuzzFeed for basically for defamation yeah. uh, because of they were named in, in this dodgy dossier it was completely made up and BuzzFeed is just they're, they're not taking they, it they're they, tried back to ha- they tried to have it thrown out in a Miami court denied so now they ha- they're having to go around to prove the freaking dossier right. <laughs> which Good is impossible um, including they've apparently subpoenaed the DNC mm-hmm. as if Clinton's party is going to if they made anything useful, yeah. but they have to at least show a paper trail of having tried. That's so pathetic. Yeah. But just coming back to the CNN thing, because I'm, I'm wondering, how did this happen? Like these two sources that apparently told CNN, what were they thinking? Did they just glance at the document and hallucinate and think that it was earlier? Or did they know it was and just kind of, um, did they plant this as disinformation? And if so, with what goal? Because mm-hmm. because if you'd think that if, you know, it doesn't really make sense if they were trying to go after Trump with this because it's such a such a minor thing that that is so that's all got left. exposed well, a day later. And now, <laughs> like a day later, it's exposed as, as fake news and Trump talks about it and and CNN's got egg on its face all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there wasn't enough time for people to internalize the story and remember it as, you know, Trump. Mm you know, Trump Jr. colluding with the Russians. I mean, it was like pretty immediate that it came out. Oh, no, this isn't even a story. So CNN mm-hmm. is the, one, the only one that ends up looking Take bad at hit. this. Well, that, that suggests the possibility that they were being trolled. Yeah. That <laughs> someone was hilarious. setting CNN up, which is very easy to do. If you've got somebody who's hysterically paranoid about something, they really, they really did it. I really believe it. And you just say, you just wait. You know, you can give, give a person like that any piece of information that confirms their delusional belief and that'll just they'll blurt it out. Mm-hmm. So, and that seems to be, that's maybe what's going on, you know, certainly if there's anybody in a position to do that, they should be doing that because the, the, that leftist media in the U.S. is just <laughs> such an easy target for like, I have a secret source. He said that he has a picture 
of Trump in Russia in bed with Putin <laughs> and 14 Russian prostitutes. <laughs> oh my God. And CNN's like, dun, 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 breaking news. <laughs> Our sources. <laughs> and then it's revealed that the sources are actually Russian. And then CNN gets accused of colluding the Russians. Oops. But this is just a testament to how rapidly anti-Trump uh, these these news channels are uh, willing to grasp at anything to bolster their case that they you know that they're right in going after Trump, or at least you know uh, happy to get ratings where they had a lot of ratings uh, going after Trump several months ago. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, the, these guys are like, I don't know, they're like schoolroom uh, gossips. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's sad. It's pathetic. degraded to such a low level. Uh, they don't even know how pathetic they look. They're all sane people anyway. Uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks, will we? Yes, let us. I think that was a good roundup, wrap up. So, so I hear the music. Thanks. Join us again next week as we wrap up the entire year's news. Oh my god. In our last show of 2017. Alright, thanks for listening, guys. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye bye.